folks, Gary Washburn with edition number five of the Washburn Files podcast as we talk Celtics, NBA, and all things related. Uh, it's welcome to uh, pre-Super Bowl week, uh, but it's also a big week for the NBA. A lot of good games played, going to be played this week. A lot of matchups, showdowns. Um, big week for the Celtics as they begin a five-game West Coast road trip with the Golden State Warriors, followed by the Sacramento Kings. Two difficult games, especially on the road. Two teams that can score the basketball. So this will be an interesting stretch for the Celtics. Let's be honest. This is a tough. This is probably their toughest trip of the season because Friday night you got the Clippers. Then you got Phoenix, tough game on Super Bowl Sunday, a, a noontime local start. Phoenix, that's going to be, you know, maybe difficult to adjust to. And then they end the trip at Utah, who just had their 11-game, uh, it, it's 11-game winning streak snap. But that's a tough stretch. And Celtic fans are going to find out a lot more about their team over the next week and a half as, one, they're going to play this trip without Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart strained his left calf against the Lakers uh, in a kind of a, one of those strange injuries. I thought, looking at it, he got kicked kind of in that shin area by uh, Montrez Harrell, who was finishing at the rim, and then Marcus went down. But it sounded like it was something of just kind of a non-contact. It wasn't caused by contact. He just had a calf strain as he rose up and tried to contest Harrell at the rim, he'll miss two to three weeks, which uh, is going to hurt this team because he's their starting point guard. And not, I mean, Kimba's starting point guard, but like shooting guard kind of stabilizes things. Has had a career year in terms of distributing the ball. So the Celtics are going to have to find a replacement for Smart. And let's talk about that because he is one of their more indispensable players. I mean, you you can include Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and kind of that trio of players the Celtics really can't do without. But Smart just does so many things, the defensive plays, the key three-pointers, although he's not shooting for a high percentage, uh, and he's gotten a lot better at that two-point floater. He, he has just uh, done so many things for this team that we're going to see uh, how they respond without him in the lineup for two to three weeks. Uh, I think it's going to be more on the two side. He's usually a quick healer, but... As we know, over his career, he's had some, you know, just a myriad of just injuries, injuries to his hand, ankle, I think one time. You know, uh, this is just kind of another uh, situation where the Celtics are just going to have to respond. Now, how do they respond? That's a good question. Um, Kimba Walker just did not play well against the Los Angeles Lakers. I mean, if you really, let's look back at that game last Saturday. They easily could have won that game. I mean, they were down 96-89. It looked like they were done. Uh, Dennis Schroeder had just completed a three-point play. Less than two minutes left. They came all the way back and had the chance to win the game with a Kimba 13-footer on kind of a scramble play after the, the Lakers, sorry, Kimba actually stripped Anthony Davis, uh, leading to kind of this crazy, disheveled, fast break. Kimba ended up get getting the ball back from Jalen, from Shimmy Ojale, who got it from Jalen Brown, missed the 13-footer. 
it ended a really poor night offensively for Kimba. One for 12, four points. You just can't have Kimba Walker scoring four points against the Los Angeles Lakers expect to win the game. They lost by one point. The Lakers weren't necessarily great. They, the Lakers played as the Lakers do. They play in stretches. They looked dominant in some stretches. In some stretches, they looked uninterested. Um, they really got a boost from their bench in Montrez Harrell, and I thought Kyle Kuzma also played a strong game off the bench. But the Celtics relied a lot on Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, as we know, but they need a third guy. And you don't want that guy to be Marcus Smart, um, who because you don't want him to have to try to score. You don't want him to have to press to score. You want him to score in the flow of the game when it's his turn to score. Lay up at the rim, uh, a little floater here and there. You don't want him launching threes um, early in his shot clock. You don't want him to try to fill up, figure, figure that he's got to spark plug the offense. That's not a good strategy. So that puts the ball in Kimba's court, pun intended. I mean, you've got to have more than one for 12 and four points with Kimba Walker. And Kimba, as I've noticed in the short time uh, he's been with the Celtics, I've covered him. He's a guy who doesn't have that unwavering confidence. Like, you look at players around the league uh, who are superstars, like a Dame Lillard. Dame, you're never going to shake Dame. Dame is going to score. He's going to go 0 for 17, but he's going to feel like he's going to hit the 18th shot. That's Dame. You see Dame and bad shooting nights hit that critical game-winning three-pointer. I mean, look at him the other night against Chicago where he basically saved the Blazers against the Bulls, hitting that step-back three-pointer over Laurie Marketing for the win to save kind of a miracle win for the Blazers. You look at Dame Lillard, and you think to yourself, man, that dude's got mad confidence. I mean, he plays with a swagger and a confidence that's unwavering. And that's a lot of guys in this league. But I think as we've seen, a lot of guys in this league don't have that. A Paul George, certain guys don't, they let their confidence waver. They let social media or they let their own personal mental um, approach kind of affect how they feel about their games. And Kimba's one of those guys that Kimba doesn't always play with that utmost confidence. He has it. You can tell what by his kind of swagger on the floor, how he moves, that he's playing with that confidence. But there's times, like Saturday, where he just gets down on himself. He, you know, pumps his fist in, a, 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 in anger after a missed shot. Or he, you know, complains to officials when he feels like he didn't get a call and he attacks the rim. Kimba is a player who does not have that unwavering confidence. And he needs to sort of work on that because this is a league that you're going to fail on most nights. I mean, you're gonna, there's times you're not going to hit every game-winning shot. But you got to have the confidence that you do because if you don't, it's going to reflect in your play. And I just think anyone who's followed the Celtics who watched him shoot that 13-footer, you just knew he wasn't going in. He just knew that the basketball gods, or if you want to call it that, or just his poor luck or just happenstance was that it was not going in. That ball was not going to go down. It just was too good a luck. It's just like if you look at Gordon Hayward over the last couple of years in Boston where there was one pivotal play he could he could make in a game and he'd 
You know, I think a key game last year where he missed, or in the bubble, where he just missed an you know, open layup. I think it was in the Miami series where literally at the rim, no one around him, misses a bunny. And he just knew it was confidence. Like he didn't have the confidence to make that. Kimba did not have the confidence to make that 13-footer to win the game. Was it too big of a moment? I'm not going to say that. But what I am going to say is that he just lacked that fortitude to get that. The, to, he was trying to will the ball to the basket. He was hoping the ball went in. The great ones know it's going to go in. That's, that's money for them. Easy money. Taking candy from a baby. So if you're the Celtics, you need to get Kimba Walker going. And I think he's physically fine, okay? But I think what happened to Kimba is the issues in the bubble have still affected him. It started in the Toronto series because I think he was fine against the Sixers. That was, I mean, he looked great against Philadelphia. It's when Toronto boxed and won them, really put the emphasis on him as being the head of the snake, and that, I think that affected his mental approach to this day, it affected him all through the postseason. He was decent against Miami, but not really good. Uh, then he had his, you know, then he said, listen, guys and gals, uh, my knee is not right. My knee is not right. It hasn't been right. All the rest and rehabilitation in the bubble that I did, the sitting out of practices did not help. And you knew when he came back from the pandemic, four months off, and he was still having knee trouble that was more significant than just a little wear and tear. He needed something, a procedure done, which he did have the offseason. He had an injection. Um, He says he feels fine. He looks fine. He looks physically more jumpy, more bouncier, as I should say, uh, than he did in his first year in Boston. He just looks different. Now comes the fact that he's got to return to that Charlotte Kimba. I saw Kimba drop 43 against the Celtics. Now, I want to say like 19 in the fourth in Charlotte a couple years ago. He just crushed Kyrie. Remember, Kyrie was like, he, he's been torching us for, for all since I've been here, and we wouldn't play a boxing one because that's what it needed to stop Kimba, a boxing one because – even though Charlotte didn't have many weapons, the Celtics could do nothing to stop. Kimball was coming up the floor and just hitting 28-footer. Bam. I mean, it was it was like a Kimba I've never seen. It was it was Yukon Kimba, National Championship Kimba. I mean, he was killing for the Hornets. Now, that was all-star Kimba. Do you want him? I don't know if you can get that guy completely back. Kimba's 30 now, has the knee. Caused him to lose maybe a half a step. We don't know yet, but they do need to get that Kimba with that swagger. We do need to get need to, they do need to get Kimba to get that like um, just that edge back to where he can um, get them over the top and hit those shots because you know those thirteen footers those you know he's got to hit that shot. And, you know, game winners are tough. It's all the pressure. It's all of the, the, you know, the game's on the line, so on and so forth. But that's an open shot or shot that Kimba should take. It wasn't a long three. It wasn't something with two 
defenders draped over him. It was basically a mid-range shot with a defender in his in his sights and did a shooter. So they need to get Kimba Walker back. And this is a big road trip for Kimba Walker. Because look at the opponents. Steph Curry, then De'Aaron Fox, and then the Clippers. I mean, Patrick Beverly's going to be in his shirt. Then you got in Phoenix, you know, uh, a Devin Booker type or or whoever playing point guard for them. And then you got Donovan Mitchell in Utah. Like, this is a big stretch for Kimba and a big stretch for the Celtics because they need him without Marcus Smart. Like, let's see what's going to happen. And they're going to probably maybe get Peyton Pritchard back on this trip, but I wouldn't bank on that. I wouldn't hope. Brad Stevens told us yesterday, you know, he didn't – he's not scheduled to practice. Like, they're not, I don't know if they're going to throw him in to a game and just say, hey, you're ready. Um, he looked okay. Like, he was shooting the ball, taking some shots last week against the Spurs pregame. And he was looking fine, you know, kind of, you know, jumping on the knee. So it doesn't look like it's a serious injury. But do you throw him into this fray as a rookie coming off an injury without ample practice time? That's a great question. And I just think that if you're the Celtics, you cannot rely on Peyton Pritchard to save the day. Anything he gives you is gravy at this point. He's a rookie. So... He's going to have rookie moments, and there might be a rookie moment coming up. Who knows? Where he's going to go one for eight, or he's going to make a mistake. You know, as we know, he's got a habit of stepping out of bounds early, you know, uh, thinking maybe, you know, just not uh, estimating the court uh, the right way on the sidelines and catching the ball with his feet out of bounds. And obviously in college, they don't really call that much. In the pros, those referees are designed to look, they're taught to look for uh, players stepping out of bounds. So I wouldn't uh, rely so much on Peyton Pritchard to save the day. So that means you're talking about Kimba and you're talking about Jeff Teague as a backup. And Teague has had a very... I don't know if you'd call it disappointing, but definitely an eye-opening season so far in Boston in terms of just his lack of finishing. Because you don't have Jeff T on the floor uh, to uh, for your defense. You don't have you have Teague on the floor to score and to distribute, and Teague is just has has, has struggled this year. 18 minutes a game, 5.8 points. Um, he's shooting 32% from the field and 41% from the three-point line. 42%. He's not taking that many threes a game, mind you. He's taking one and a half threes a game. So it's not like he's, um, you know, making, you know, he's taking a lot of threes. He's hitting those, but it's the two-pointers. It's the floaters, the finishes at the rim, the ones off the glass, that he just can't do. And, you know, I was talking to somebody about, like, is that age? Is that what, why do certain players, you know, if you guys remember, if you guys are, you know, Allen Iverson toward the end of his career when he started bouncing around with teams, right? When he went to Detroit and he went to Memphis and he went to back to Philadelphia, um, that he had, he had lost his ability to finish. 
And I don't know if that's an age thing or why certain uh, players lose their ability to fish. I don't understand. And um, is that ha- has that happened to Jeff Teague? We don't know, but it's not helped the Celtics. The Celtics need an engaged Jeff Teague. They need someone who can finish at the rim, who can hit, score 10, 12 points, maybe in, in, in 15, 18 minutes. And that is something that he hasn't been able to do. Remember, he had that nice opener. He had a really good opening game. And then, voila, like, it just, 19 points in his, in the first game. And then it's gone downhill ever since. I mean, there's been some times he's made some made some plays. Um, but, you know, 32% from the three-point line, I mean, sorry, from the two-point line, I mean, that's just, that can't happen. If you go for his totals, I mean, he is 21 for 73 on two-point shots, 28%. By comparison, last year in Atlanta, his little brief stint with the Hawks when he came home for a minute, he was 43% from two. Uh his last full season, 18-19 in Minnesota, 45.3% from two. The year before that in Minnesota, 47.7% from two. He was, he was nearly 48% from two just three years ago, and now he's 28.8% from two. I mean, see, career low, 32% from the field. He's only taken 24 three-pointers, so you can't really – base it off that he's not a three-point shooter. He he can't hit the three. He's not a big three-point shooter. He he took a lot of him in his Atlanta days where his uh his best year was 15-16 when he hit 40% from the three, 110, but 275 in 79 games. I mean, that's you know, that's a couple of games, 3-4 for a game. That's not high volume shooter, but that's productive. The Celtics would love if Jeff T was 40% for three and as he is now, but took more threes. But unfortunately, he's taken a lot of twos. He's he's always been a guy who's mostly a two-point shooter, but his career two-point average is 47.1%. Okay? 47.4 in his eight years in Atlanta. And with the Celtics, 28.8. Now, why is that? Let's look into that. Is it age? Teague is 32. Okay. Uh, he's been in the league a minute. He turns 33 in June. Okay. Now, is it Hey, I mean, what I think is, unfortunately, we have been uh, kind of fallen into this trap created by the great LeBron James that every player – is going to play into his deep into his 30s and be productive. That's not the case. Okay. Not everybody's Kobe Bryant or Kevin Garnett or, or LeBron James. Not everybody's going to play. And we, I, I'm sure, I know you guys don't expect every player to 36 to be on LeBron James level, but there's just certain players that when they hit 30, they lose it. You know, whether it be physically, I mean, I look. I think of a guy, and, and you can look at Steve Francis, lost it at 30. 
Tracy McGrady. Like a lot of guys, when they hit that big 3-0, and they've been in the league since they were 20, Jeff T was drafted at 21 years old. So he's been in the league now 11 years. Okay, that's a that's a lot of wear and tear on your on your body, a lot of hitting the floor hard after getting fouled, a lot of just um you know, a lot of situations where, you know, maybe it could be wear and tear. And I know that he's a small guy and it's hard to tell when smaller guys lose it because, of, I mean, he's skinny. He doesn't, it's not like he's gained any weight. It's not like he's limping. It's not, you know, you look at like, oh, that looks like the Jeff Teague. He, he looks like, you know, Jeff Teague looks like a young guy. Um, But. You know, for, for, for me, I think fatigue, it, it could be age. It could be um, attrition. And the question is, how much longer do you give him before you might cut bait and release him and try to bring another guy in? Because he's got to be more productive. I mean, you don't sign a guy so he can go 28.8% on two-point shots. Because those are game-changing shots in many cases. If he hits a couple of those shots, the Celtics probably win a couple of more games. Okay? Because they're giving him a role. And they want him, but he's lost he lost minutes to Peyton Pritchard. And, you know, now it's he's losing minutes to Carson Edwards. You know, it's like they're Brad is grabbing at straws trying to find a spark plug off the bench. And that is Teague's on Teague because if Teague was that spark plug, then the Celtics, I think, would be in a, in a much better place. Because even his, his little stint with, with Atlanta last year, okay, he came back to Atlanta in a deal uh, because his contract was expiring. You know, that big, I think he signed three years, $57 million with the with the Timberwolves. They trade him. Back to Atlanta so he could be Trey's kind of backup, you know. And this is, he shot 41% from the field, 43% from two. He wasn't great, but he was serviceable. Four assists in 20 minutes, 7.7 points. So he was a serviceable player, right? Um, he was he was a player who who helped them. Obviously, Atlanta didn't go to the playoffs or anything last year, but this is the team the Celtics thought they were getting. You put them in a better situation around better and more experienced players, and then even in the 31 games he played, sorry, the 34 games he played with the Timberwolves before the trade, 13.2 points, 45% from the field, 47% from two. This is last season, okay, last season. Teague was solid. Twenty, he played more minutes, um, but he was he was solid. This is just last season, folks. Thirty four games with the Timberwolves, thirteen point two points. He was a, he was a good serviceable player. Thirty seven percent from thirty eight percent from three. He took he took almost three three pointers a game. He played more minutes, obviously, but he was so. If you're looking at the Celtics' viewpoint of this. They're looking and saying, "Listen, this guy was in a situation last year where he averaged almost he averaged thirteen points a game on a bad team. What about 
with, with, with more pressure. What's he going to do for a good team? And unfortunately, uh, so you, you think that that might work, but so far it hasn't. And it was interesting this week. I wrote in the Globe a couple of weeks ago that they should consider maybe signing Isaiah Thomas. And people, there's two factions in Boston. The let's move on from Isaiah. It's over. Get stop. You know, talking about Isaiah. Um, you know, let's just move on. He had a great time in Boston. Whatever. And then there's the let's sign Isaiah today and bring him in. The Celtics owe him for what he sacrificed for the organization and what he did in two all-star games, making two all-star games, and he can revive that because he says he's healthy. Two factions. So I had, you know, readers telling me to shut up, and other readers telling me, that's right, let's bring Isaiah back. So Isaiah tweeted this week that it's over. Like, in terms of he wants to play again, but that the Celtic thing is not happening. So obviously management has told him, listen, we like you, Isaiah. You know, you played hard for us. We're sorry what happened with your hip, but we're not bringing you back. We're not going to re-sign you. You know, and I don't know who is against Isaiah in the organization, whether it's, um, you know, Ainge, uh, whether it's uh, Brad Stevens, whether it's someone else in management, Um so for me, uh, it's unfortunate because I do think that, let's face it, could Isaiah put up better numbers than this? Yes, yes, he could. Of course he could than Teague. Yes. Could he finish at the rim? Could he still shoot the three? I don't think he loses. I don't think Isaiah's lost his skills. I think physically he wasn't right. So you can either A, um, you know, Stick with Teague or B, figure out an alternative. And how long of a uh, of much more time do you give Teague to try to prove that he's that just last year Minnesota Teague? I'll read those numbers again, okay? 48, 44.8% from the field, 39, 38% from three, 47% from two, okay? 6.1 assists. He even averaged almost three rebounds, 13.2 points. That's the Teague the Celtics thought they were getting. Unfortunately, they've gotten not so good Teague. 32% from the field. 28.8% from two. Now, 41.7%, but he's only taking 24 threes in 16 games. So, one and a half. So that's not all that impactful. 2.3 assists, 1.1 steals. I mean, so he's, he's, he's playing some decent D at times. Uh, two rebounds. So what happens? Because with Smart out, the Celtics need a lift. I mean, you know, the East is, to me, the East is there for the taking. Philadelphia, I think... They, they, I thought their win in Indiana without Embiid was very impressive. I thought that was a very impressive win. I got to give 
uh, props to to the um, Sixers for pulling out that game without Embiid. I think they outscored Indiana by like 18, 19 points in the in the fourth quarter to pull that game out in Indiana. But the Celtics are fourth in the East, okay, of all the issues they had. They're fourth in the East, three and a half games behind Philadelphia. Two in the loss column. Remember, they played – Philadelphia's played 21 games, so I think they've – I don't think the Phillies had any games canceled by COVID. Maybe one, I'm not sure. I don't think so. The Celtics have played 18, okay, because they've still got some COVID games to make up. So if you're the Celtics, they have played – um, 18 games, just 10 and 8, as we speak. They're 5 and 5 on the road, and they're about to add five more road games to that. So they're going to have a situation where they're going to have a load of home games after this road trip. I mean, they're going to have they're going to have some home cooking, okay? Because they've already played 10 road games. They're about to play 15 after this trip. Every team plays according if the schedule is on 72 games. Is going to play 36 home, 36 road, obviously. So the Celtics are going to have uh, seven more um, home games than road games for the rest of the season after this trip. So it's a chance for them to pick up some ground here. This will be a tough trip, though. You know, do you do you think two and three is respectable? Three and two? Do you catch Phoenix off guard? Can you beat the Clippers in L.A.? Uh is Sacramento, that's a tricky game. They lost at SAC last year. SAC's got a lot of young talent. You just don't know. SAC is one of those teams that they played really well recently. They just beat New Orleans. They had a really successful East Coast road trip. Um, they lost at Miami, but they won at Orlando. I mean, Sacramento just has kind of flipped the script after it looked like Luke Walk might be in the hot seat. Um, they're 9 and 11 now. That's, a, that's not bad. Four and five on the road. So, Sacramento is kind of surging, five and five in their last ten, but they're they're starting to play better. So none of these games are gimmies. None of them are gimmies. Okay, but if you're the Celtics, you got to find a way to get some of these wins on the road. You got to play well. There's no fans in, in this, these situations. Maybe I think Utah will have fans, but you got to just bunker down and you got to get uh, some W's on this trip. And that's important. Um, that's important to, to at least to make a, a statement. Maybe who knows what's going to happen uh, against Golden State, but Sacramento, get that game because you know you're playing the Clippers next and then the Suns and then the Jazz. But how long can the Celtics uh, last? How long can they um, – not last. How long can they – last without Marcus Smart. You know, what can they do? How different of a team are they going to be? We're going to find that out on this road trip. We're going to find that out uh, over the next two weeks as Marcus recovers. He did not make the trip, so don't get any delusions that he will somehow get onto the court for this game, for these last couple of games, maybe Phoenix or Utah. That's not happening. The Celtics are going to play it safe. they got a lot of season left. But if you're the Celtics, what do you do about Jeff Teague? How long do you do do you start playing Carson Edwards more? Do you hope that he um, can find it? That's the thing. The Celtics need a boost on this bench, on their bench. 
okay? And there's going to be opportunities that open, okay, and players to be available. And there's been talk recently about J.J. Reddick. J.J. Reddick's in the final year of his contract at $13 million. Uh, I've been told J.J.'s asked for a trade from New Orleans. I just don't think it's a good fit for him. Uh, they already have a bunch of young guys. Nikhil Alexander-Walker. They got a bunch of young kids who are playing where – and then J.J.'s also shooting 29% from three. Like, that's really bad. It's career low. What can the – you know, will he pick it up on his new team? I think he probably thinks it's time for a new environment. The Celtics have this trade exception that they could break up. Remember, the 28.5 trade exception can be broken up into pieces. You don't have to use it on one player. You can break it up and still have $15 million left. That's the advantageous part. But you can't add a player in. You can't say, okay, New Orleans, here's Carson Edwards and – uh, a first rounder for JJ Reddick, it has to be player for picks. So and, and and incentives. So you cannot add a player to match salary. You can't. You know you have to basically have player and draft picks for draft picks. So if you're the Celtics, do you split that exception? Throw in, and I don't know if Reddick's worth the first round pick. I don't know if Celtic Faker will be happy because he'll be a rental player, basically, unless you feel like you want to sign, re-sign Reddick, who's pushing 37 now. I mean, it seems like 50 years ago that he was a Duke, but he was actually a Duke uh, not that long ago, the early 2000s, mid-2000s, you know, I think it was a 2007 draft pick. So do you invest a first-round pick in a half a season of J.J. Reddick? If you think Reddick's going to contribute, that's a great question. If not, do you throw in a couple of second rounders? Do you just give New Orleans incentive? Because New Orleans obviously is probably saying, listen, JJ, thank you for signing with us. You tried. We're going to send you somewhere where you could try to win a chip because he hasn't won a championship. So here's a, here's an opportunity for you to play for a, a championship contending team. We just want some second-round picks back. Is that what the Celtics could offer? Or do you offer a protected pick, protected first-round pick? Um, how do you shape that? And is it worth it? I think that's what the Celtics are asking themselves now. Or teams like the Orlando Magic are going to st probably start moving players. They're, the Magic got off to a 4-0 start, if you remember. Since then, they're 4-13. They're two and eight in their last ten. They're ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth in the East. Seven games back. I mean, hey, they could, but it's the same old magic. I mean, they just they can't, you know, just get over the top. So if you're in Orlando management, do you start just saying, listen, we need to see more Mobamba. Wait till Jonathan Isaac comes back. Markel Fultz is out for the season. Do we just start becoming sellers? Get some assets for our players and move forward. Aaron Gordon is now out for six weeks with a calf injury. And that's really bad news for teams who are interested in potentially acquiring Aaron Gordon, who has a pretty market-friendly, team-friendly contract. I think he's making 18 this year and it drops to 16 next year. 
So if you're the Celtics, do you or Evan Fournier, do you want a guy like that who can who can come off the bench? He hasn't played much at all this year. Um, so teams are going to start becoming sellers. Okay, eventually. You got to look at some of these teams that are down. Minnesota, 5-15. and 15. The Pelicans, I don't think will become sellers because besides Heretic and maybe Lonzo Ball, because I think they're still really trying to get, I think they've been told, with Zion healthy, y'all need to try to make the playoffs. Dallas is 8-13. and 13. Oklahoma City, 8-11. and 11. You know, the West is kind of a, a jungled bunch of, of pieces besides Minnesota, which is five. Minnesota's just awful, let's be honest. I mean, I don't understand what's going on up there, but they're five and fifteen. But the East, the Wizards are four and twelve. The Pistons five and fifteen. The Heat, they're going to compete. They're seven and thirteen. They lost again to Charlotte the other night. I mean, Charlotte's make Charlotte has pushed themselves to eighth. They're playing better. Um, Gordon Hayward, you got to give him props. He wanted an opportunity to shine, and he and he got it, and he's done well. You got to give him credit. Uh, he stayed. He's had a couple of nicks, but he stayed healthy. So through the 21 games that the Hornets have played, you know, you got to give, which is what almost more than fourth of season. Like we're almost a third. We're getting to the third mark of the season, almost, almost there. Uh, you got to give Gordon some props for that. So uh, the the market's going to be interesting because, let's be honest. There's this these ten you know now where there's this play-in, and there's owners are going to want some of that money from the play-in. They're going to push their t- coaches. Hey, we need to get that tenth seed. We'll take our chance to try to get in the playoffs. We can't. We're not going to just sit sit back and 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 do nothing. We want that tenth seed. So you're going to have a lot of teams that in normal years would have been sellers that might even be buyers or will stand pat. So the market's going to be kind of interesting. And now the trade deadline is March 25th, so that's uh, seven weeks away. If you're the Celtics, they got seven weeks to determine what uh, you want to do with that trade market and who's available and what you and, and what you want are willing to move. And how many if you want to move a first round pick or you want to move a second a couple of second rounders. And use that trade exception. And remember, there's also the Ennis Cantor trade exception, which I think is 4.7 million. And then there's a small exception for Vincent Poirier. Um, I was shocked that they were able to get anything back for Poirier, considering how bad he was last year, his first year with the Celtics. I know he's playing with the Sixers now, and he's not playing much, but he's still in the lead. So if you're the Celtics, you have some decisions to make. It's a big stretch here. 5K West Coast road trip. And then some difficult games once you get back. Uh, no work is smart. Jeff Teague playing shaky. Uh, Kimball Walker still trying to find his confidence. There's a lot of things that they have to figure out over the next couple of weeks. This is an interesting time because they have a chance to win the East. I, I don't, I'm not convinced that Philadelphia, as we know, Milwaukee's had its ups and downs. The, the Bucks are 12-8. and eight. And been pretty much healthy, remember. 12 and 8, 5, you know, 6 and 6 and 4 in their last 10. Brooklyn, if you guys watched that game against Washington the other night, they've got problems on defense. The Nets are a mess on defense. Okay, they're gonna score. 
I mean, they average 122 points a game, but they're giving up 118. So that's a problem, okay? They're going to be like the San Diego Chargers of the 80s, Air Coriel. Uh, they're going to be like the greatest show on turf, but with no defense. And then the Celtics are fourth, three and a half back. They've played better. I, I was impressed with their defense against the Lakers. They're, you know, everyone's ripping their defense. They're, average, they're allowing 109 per game. That's not terrible in this league of scoring uh, of leagues. That is third in the East. The Knicks are first and the Cavs are second. So as much as we were ripping the shreds, the Celtics defense, they're still third in the East in points allowed. That's interesting, isn't it? Um, so there's a lot to be hopeful for if you're a Celtic fan, but they've got to get the offense going. They've got to get Kimba going. They've got to figure out what to do with Jeff Teague, and they got to, to try to eke some wins out of this West Coast trip and not get in the 500 range. Right now they're two games above. You want to come back from this trip three, four games above 500 if possible. You're trying to go four and one, three and two on this trip. To me, I think you can beat the Warriors. The Kings and the Suns are the most winnable games. Utah is always a tough place to play, regardless of fans or not. And the Clippers got so much talent that that's going to be a tough game too. But your hope is to go three and two, four and one on this trip, and then come on home. So we will check with you guys later this week uh, after the first couple of West Coast games. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to edition five of the Washburn Files. Have a great sports week. If I don't talk to you before then, enjoy the Super Bowl and enjoy those Celtic games.